Thank you, Ruth Ann. <clears throat> Take a few moments in silence. You share with the Lord your desire to be responsive as we interact with Scripture this morning. <clears throat> Father, we want to be living out our relationship with you, with Christ as our life, and in obedience to your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Years ago, when I was 19 years old, I was able to go on a mission trip to Guatemala, Honduras, Haiti. Then we flew from Haiti to Miami, and then from Miami to Atlanta, and then later on came on home. On our flight from Miami to Atlanta, we hit a great deal of turbulence. It wasn't just bumpy, it was rough. Things overhead started to come out. They did not have you know, lids on the overhead compartment. Some things flew out and no, it was a scary time. Now, if you can envision flying in a very, very rough plane and then multiply it by about 10 times and have someone come over the speaker and say, I just want you to know that the pilot says there is no hope. Get ready. We're going to crash. And all of a sudden, a man stands up and says, don't worry. Wind, be still. And immediately... It was still. How would you respond? Would you say, thank you, we're safe? Or would you respond in some other way? Let's read together Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Beginning with verse 35 through the end of the chapter. Mark 4, 35 through the end of the chapter. And for you guys who are present... When we, or when the disciples speak, if you would be willing to read that, when the disciples speak, you know, you men, you teen guys, be willing to read that. Mark 4, beginning with verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Peter, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves As we think about this passage in its context, we find that in chapter 3, 13, through chapter 4 and verse 34, there have been some conversations. There's been some controversy and there have been some parables. 
But in chapter 4 and verse 35, the hearers are transferred to the resumption of Jesus' public ministry around the Sea of Galilee. The four accounts in chapter 4, 35 through chapter 6 and verse 6, highlight Jesus as a miracle worker. His mighty acts invoke a judgment from those who witness them. The twelve in the floundering boat must choose between faith and fear. Their initial response is fear. The witnesses of the healed demonic must choose between acceptance or rejection of Jesus. Both Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman must choose between belief and disbelief. Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead, the woman being healed. Jesus' hometown must choose between belief and disbelief. And they basically chose disbelief. Jesus, as he is being revealed in the book of Mark, brings about choices. You're going to believe? Or are you not going to believe? How are you going to respond in this circumstance? The text clearly states in verse 35, that day when evening came. The day refers to what is taking place. During the day, Jesus was going to be taken charge of by his family. They're coming to take charge of him. They said, he's out of his mind. And then he's accused of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus speaks about you know, the fact that Satan cannot be opposed against himself. Then he defines his family. His family is the one who is willing to do God's will. Then he shares the parables, the parable of the sower, the parable of the lamp on the stand, the parable of the growing seed, and the parable of the mustard seed. Been a busy day. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples. There almost seems to be an urgency there. When evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now remember who is involved here. We find Jesus is involved, the one who forgave sins, the one who cast out demons, the one who healed, the one who was Lord of the Sabbath. But we also find the disciples are involved, the 12. They're in a boat with him. But there's other boats with him. It's not just the 12. It's not a single boat. There's other boats also involved in going across the Sea of Galilee with him. Jesus acts. He says, let us go over to the other side. Did he know what was coming? The text doesn't say. We don't know. But there does seem to be an urgency. Let's go over to the other side. So what happens? Leaving the crowds behind them, or behind, they took him along. That is, the twelve took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. James Edwards comments on the boat, and I quote, 
1986, the hull of a fishing boat was recovered from the mud on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, about five miles south of Capernaum. The boat, 26 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet high, corresponds to the design of the first century mosaic of a Galilean boat. And according to carbon-14 technology, dates the boat 120 BC to 40 AD. Both fore and aft sections of the boat appear to have been covered with a deck, providing space on which to sit or to lie. The boat was propelled by four rowers, two per side, and had a total capacity of about 15 persons. The Galilee boat corresponds to the particulars of the boat described in the story and to the depictions in the various artistic renderings. A similar boat accompanied Jesus and his disciples in their crossings of the Sea of Galilee. End of quote. So they're in a boat, they're going across the Sea of Galilee. There's other boats with them. Verse 37 says, A furious squaw came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now keep in mind that the Sea of Galilee is 628 feet below sea level. It is surrounded by mountains, gouged with deep ravines. These ravines serve as gigantic funnels to focus whirling winds down onto the lake without warning. The way is greased by a thermal buildup of extremely low valley while it rises, it invites the cold air to fall. And our text says, a furious squall came up, nearly swamping the boat. I don't know if you've ever been, I have not been, at sea in a storm. And to feel... The stern plunged like an elevator in the trough of a mountain of green and then rise to the sky like a carnival ride and imagine the watery misery of the twelve. We're dealing with some of these men being seasoned fishermen and what do they say? Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Here's seasoned fishermen thinking there's no hope. It's furious, a furious squall. It came up apparently sudden, as it often does on the Sea of Galilee. Waves are breaking over the boat. The boat is nearly swamped. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping on the stern on a cushion. The only place in the Gospels that we read Jesus of Jesus sleeping is during a storm. How could he sleep? Wasn't he fearful? I often think of Psalm 3. He was Lord of creation, and he was walking in humble obedience to his Father. But he's sleeping. The disciples certainly aren't. I don't think the response was like this, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? You know, he's sleeping. 
They were expecting death to be utterly destroyed. One man sleeping, 12 pulling away at the rose, or oars rather. It reminds me of an encounter years earlier. Jonah, he's in a deep sleep in the bows of the ship. Jesus is sleeping on the sailor's cushion in the stern. Veteran seamen in Jonah are terrified. The disciples are terrified. The captain confronts Jonah for sleeping while the crew is perishing. The disciples confront Jesus for sleeping while they're perishing. He get up. Jesus, get up. Rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Jesus doesn't seem alarmed. He rebuked the wind. He reproved it. He chided it. He reprimanded it. And then he said to the waves, be quiet, or be still, rather. Quiet, be still. Quiet means to keep silent, to be dumb. Still means to be muzzled. The storm was immediately cut off or abated. I have a hard time envisioning that. Here the boat is going all kinds of ways. They're afraid they're going to be drowned. They can look out and they can see the waves coming and it's done. It's calm. You find as we study the Gospel of Mark that Jesus and his action always brings about complete action. He cast out demons in chapter 1 and verse 25. They were gone. He healed in chapter 1, 29 through 30, totally and completely. He healed a man with leprosy in verse 42 of chapter 1, completely. He healed the paralytic, completely. The man with a shriveled hand, he spoke. And the man was healed. He cast out a legion of demons, or he will in chapter 5. And he raises a girl from the dead. He speaks, or he acts, and things happen. After it's completely calm, he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Why are you timid? Why are you coward? Do you still have no faith? They have seen him perform miracles. They have seen him teach with authority. He forgave a person or a man his sins. And here they are in a tossing sea. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The question, or the questions, 
seemed to be a challenge to them as to how they're going to respond. They're progressively coming to know Christ. And what is their response? Thank God we're safe? No. They're terrified and ask each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Mark my word, if you're flying along in a very, very rough flight and you're doomed to crash, the pilot says, there's no hope. And someone stands up and says, wind, be still. And it's just like that, stop. You say, wow, who is this guy? They're terrified. They don't know how to respond, how to behave in the presence of one who can calm a storm. They have seen healings. They've seen him teach with authority, but they have not seen him display power over nature. They're apprehensive. They're reluctant. They're terrified. You will find that as you go through the Gospels, when people don't know how to behave around deity, they get scared. In the very next chapter, in chapter 5, when the demonic is healed, a legion of demons is cast out of the demonic, what do they say? The people in the area say, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you around. The same thing here. They're terrified, and they ask, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The question and the explanation communicate that their terror was due to the power Christ displayed in quieting the storm. They were in the presence of one who had great power, thus terror. They did not fully grasp his nature, his character, his identity. And in this setting, he is showing another aspect of his character. And the question that goes through my mind, the text doesn't say. I wonder what the people in the other boats thought. They're also in the Sea of Galilee. They're being tossed and turned. And all of a sudden, it's calm. What in the world's going on here? I'm sure they found out when they got to shore. The language of verse 39 he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Or the language proper that of exorcism. Casting out demons. The Greek term was used twice earlier in Mark of rebuking evil spirits. Same terminology being used. And in chapter 5, he's going to cast out a legion of demons. The term... In Jewish exorcism was a commanding word of God by which evil powers were brought into submission. Such language is more appropriate of demonic forces than an inanimate nature. The language of 439 depicts Jesus as the strong man. In chapter 3 and verse 37, or 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man who can vanquish and defeat Satan and plunder evil. 
the language of exorcism in Mark 439, the purpose seems to be to show that Jesus does only what God can do. Mark's account invites comparison with Psalm 107 and verse 23. I'd like for you to listen as I read from Psalm 107 and verse 23, plus several other verses. Others went out into the sea in ships. They were merchants of mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonder, wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the deeps. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits or their skill's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Mark 7, I'm sorry, Mark 4, would be describing what God does in Psalm 107. In the Old Testament, God alone possesses power to stop natural storms. In Mark's account, Jesus possesses the same power. Do we grasp the identity, the character, the being of Jesus? Are we willing to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you still have no faith? Envision, if you can, back several months ago when we had the storm go through this area. All kinds of trees are going down and so on. I was sitting in my study that Sunday morning when the oak tree came down into the entryway to the church. But you're looking out and seeing the trees bowing to the ground. And just like that, it stops you would wonder what happened. The disciples are terrified. Have you ever read this account yourself or with your family and you get to the end of the chapter and you mentally sit back and say, that the disciples did not say, thank you, Jesus. They're terrified. They don't know what to do with this guy who can calm a storm with his words. Have you ever been terrified? Say, man, who is this Jesus that has given me life? Who is my life? couple final comments. In my humble opinion, I think the point of Mark 4 is to show that Jesus is sovereign over nature since he is God's son. He has the same qualities as God. The son of man is unveiling the kingdom of God to his disciples, to the Roman church, 
and to us today. So if Christ is so very great, why do we live under our circumstances? Think about life. If Christ is so very great, why do we live under our circumstances? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I cast out a demon. I healed the paralytic. I forgave sins. I healed many other people. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I healed the man with a shriveled hand. Why are you so afraid? If Christ's power is so great, why do we live under our circumstances? And then a second question or comment. There's a direct parallel between understanding the identity, character, and nature of Jesus and following him and being his followers. It's a direct parallel between understanding the identity of Jesus, the character of Jesus, and the nature of Jesus, and being his followers. Why would the 12 die? Because they knew who he was. They saw him. They experienced the storm, the calming of the storm. Let me pose some questions. Have you come to the point where you've acknowledged and confessed Christ as Savior? And if you're a believer in Christ, does your life, your desires, your attitudes, your motives, your thoughts, and your words reflect the power of Christ? Let's sing together concerning Christ. Travis? Travis? <clears throat>